Hey everyone, this is my brother Michael. My brother Adam. We're the Sharf Brothers. You're listening to Mentoring for the Modern Musician. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Welcome to Mentoring for the Modern Musician, you guys. Welcome, M3 community. So today, on the podcast, we are lucky enough to be talking to Rebecca Haviland of Rebecca Haviland and Whiskey Heart. Amazing uh, singer, well, let me, uh, multi-instrumentalist, yeah, let's just do it. Grammy, oh, do it. Grammy award-winning Grammy vocalist. Grammy award-winning vocalist. Let's multi-instrumentalist. start Multi-instrumentalist. Multi-instrumentalist. Songwriter. Performer. Songwriter, performer. A massive touring I mean, unbelievable touring crops and, right. and in all kinds of different all situations and genres and styles. A wealth of knowledge. Lecturer, instructor in music at SUNY Purchase Conservatory in New York. Which is, and just, I mean, and, 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 unbelievably really nice lady. Oh my God. Just a good human. Yeah, good human. You know what I mean? Just Absolutely. a good human. Yeah. And that, when you throw, like, with all the other stuff that's at the beginning there, she could kind of be a jerk. She could be. And, and I'd still be psyched and you'd to still have her be, on the I'd show. still be psyched to talk to her. But she's, exactly. like, super nice, too, yeah. you guys. You have no idea. Absolutely. You are, you are in for such a treat here uh, today. Yeah, in for a treat. Rebecca! <laughs> Hey, how's it going, guys? Great. Thanks hey, so much for joining us. Thanks for calling in today. Yeah, we thanks I, for having me. Oh man, I'm I've been looking forward to this literally for months. Me too. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Me too. Si- actually, um, since obviously since before seeing you uh, uh, play with Marty uh, in Portland, Maine, but uh, ever especially since the Martin Sexton show. Yes, I've been oh, cool. really dying to talk to you. Yes. Awesome. Well, yeah. thanks again for having me. I'm I'm psyched that I get to come back up. And hopefully see you guys. Yeah. yeah. Yes, absolutely. And this time in your neck of the woods, right? You guys are in, in Bar Harbor. <laughs> no, so I we're not. We're we're actually we're south of uh, of Portland where you were. So Agunquit's a little closer oh. to where we were. Oh, cool. Okay, got but it. but really, you know, twenty minutes closer. It's not yeah. you. You were already in our neck of the woods. That's, yeah, it was that's easy. Oh, that, nice. That's pretty close. I it's, love Agunquit too, though. I put, got to play there years ago. I was playing keyboards for Crystal Bowersock. Oh yeah, we've um, we've actually interviewed her. her. Oh, she's so great. Yeah, she's great, and that's such a nice venue. And the the owners were so sweet. We got to, I mean, I'm you you guys probably get lobster all the time, but I don't. So I had a lot of lobster. <laughs> Absolutely, <laughs> there it was very exciting. Perfect, and there's no better place to have it than up here. I there mean, you that's, go. Yes. Exactly, that's the yeah. best stuff right there. Absolutely. Yeah. So you know what you mentioned? You mentioned Crystal right off the bat. So I I just wanted to to uh, ask about that real quick. So mm-hmm. so how much backing vocals did you do with her? I did a lot of backing vocals with her. Um, I was hired as a as the keyboard player mm-hmm. and backing vocalist, and then I also played mandolin uh, with her and a little bit of acoustic guitar sometimes. Yeah. Um, and so I think there was there were probably backing vocals on almost every song. Perfect. That we did. Yeah. Yeah. yeah perfect. That's awesome. She she's well so. I was going to say something that 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 wouldn't translate well because you've also done. I mean, you've sung on so literally hundreds <laughs> of records, and I mean, you've won a Grammy for uh, singing on a on a children's album. And I know that you were uh, you also were uh, on the road with um, Rachel Platten. Um, yeah. So mm-hmm. this is something that you do uh, that you also do uh, in in addition to your solo stuff, right? Yeah, it's been, um, you know, I, I kind of switch. I mean, the, being in the music business, as you guys know, you, you tend to have to wear a lot of different hats. 
<laughs> Absolutely. And so, um, to kind of uh, create one uh, very hopefully nice income. Yeah. Um, so that's been one hat that I've I've worn on and off over the years. I've been uh, touring on and off for I would say about fifteen years. Yeah. Um, and within that time, you know, I'll go out on the road for a while and then I'll come back and, and do my music and, and promote that and make an album. And then I'll get hired to go back out again with someone. And, and you know, there there really isn't a rhyme or reason. Right. Um, it's just kind of whatever fits and what feels right at the time. Yeah. Well, I love that you uh, that you brought that up um, because that's exactly that's kind of the overarching focus that I mean, I want to talk about your whole career. But one of the things that. I sort of wanted to make sure that we're talking about um, for the artists that are, of ours that are listening to this is about doing everything to try to make that <laughs> right. Like do yeah. do it all. Say yes, yes, and yeah. I, you know, and that's something that early on in my career I kind of got forced into um, getting used to doing. I, um, you know, I, I didn't start out wanting to pursue the career of a sideman. I had a, a manager I was working with at the time, um, this guy named David Sonnenberg, who manages like the Black Eyed Peas yeah. and um, Spin Doctors and stuff like that. Yeah. And he um, had an artist that he was working with um, as well who needed a keyboard player for tour. And he was like, well, you play keys great and you sing backing vocals. I think you would totally crush this. And you need to do this. And I was like, <laughs> um, excuse me, I'm an artist. And right. Like, yeah, but, you know, you can make like, you know, really good money. Weekly, and I'll send you out on tour. And I was like, okay, great. So I got to do um, keywords for her and singing backing vocals and ukulele um, on the Lilith Fair tour. That was wow, wow, that was huge. Yeah, not the not the original one, but like the one that when Sarah McLaughlin decided to put it back together again. So I did that one with her, and that was a that was such an amazing experience. But it, I would not have pursued that had he not kind of forced me into it. Yeah. Um, but then from there, you know, you just kind of learn, like you said, you you got to say yes, and you got to put yourself in a position to kind of go a little bit beyond what you think you can do. Right. And that's going to, you know, as my husband says, you get to keep that. So all that practicing and all that learning and that knowledge, you get to build on it each time. Right. So husband, Chris Anderson, uh, yeah. bass player extraordinaire. Um, <laughs> yes. uh, now, did you guys, did, did you meet while, you, while he was playing with you? Is that how you guys met? Yes. So uh, we actually went to the same college, um, but not at the same time. Mm-hmm. Um, and I ended up needing a bass player um, probably about 10, yeah, 10 or 12 <laughs> years ago. And right. um, my drummer at the time was like, hey, I know this guy. I just met him. He just got his master's. You should call him. And so I called him to uh, come sit in on a gig, and it just kind of went downhill from there. No. <laughs> um, and he uh, never left. <laughs> that, that was that. And he never left. Yeah. So we've been... Um, you might as well, well, I might as well marry him. Well, you know, initially, uh, that was not in the picture. Of course we not. became really good friends, yeah. and we um, toured a lot together with other bands, mm-hmm. and uh, he worked for me a lot, and, um, you know, I guess, you know, inevitably, we ended up, um, <laughs> you know, starting to date about five or six years after that. Right. Um, and now we're married. <laughs> Which is so cool. Thanks. Yeah, yeah no. we're... I got a bass player for life now, you know. Right, no, right. Exactly, exactly. It takes legal action for him to not play a, bass, a gig with you now. <laughs> well, or a better paying gig. Well, well, yeah. well there's that too. <laughs> well, so this is which, of course, you'd understand. So. Which is perfect because that's exactly why you would hire you, why you would marry another musician, because only another musician would understand and be okay with that. Yeah, exactly. 
Yeah, exactly. We're we're really lucky because for that concept, um, you know, just that we really understand the ins and outs of what the business means. Right. Both of us had dated people that were not in the music business, and and you know, it's it's different hours, and sometimes you're off a lot, and sometimes you're working, you know, for three weeks straight. Right, right, um, right. And so there's you even even we get. Um, you know, anxious sometimes about how much we're not seeing of each other, but yeah. cherish those moments and try to schedule those moments when we can be with each other. And and, know, pro- well. and probably experience less resentment about those yeah. extended periods of time. Yeah, you know, and then it's also, you know, you can vent to the other person right. and they understand what you're talking Shorthand. about. Shorthand. And try to figure out what to charge for a gig. We've got <laughs> right. the best right. ideas <laughs> Exactly. You know? so, right, that's the worst, yeah. isn't it? How much, how yeah. much do you pay? How, well, how much yeah. do you want? Oh, come exactly. on. What's your budget? Exactly. Well, how much can I get you for? <laughs> yes. Well, that's a whole other, I mean, if you want to have a conversation about that, my husband did a bunch of research a while ago just about, you know, how jobs have uh, changed since like the 70s. And, yeah. Um, you know, how much more people's salaries have gone up because the value of the dollar has changed. Except and for musicians. At, yeah, looking at the rate that musicians are paid, um, you know, and, and I, I'm a member of the union, but at the same time, um, I, I, I want them to do more to uh, help to work with all kinds of artists and promote the idea that we should be getting paid a, a, an hourly that's worth the dollar for 2018. Yeah. Um, yeah. Even if you're not in the union, <laughs> right? It's a yeah. Great idea. Mm-hmm. So you know, but that's a, a lot to ask for sure. And but yeah, a lot to ask in an industry that's struggling to yeah. figure out how to how to keep revenue coming when album sales don't uh, you know sort of buffer that yeah. anymore. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Which is another great reason for why you're doing all of the different things that you do. And we, I mean, we've only scratched the surface on what you do. I mean, <laughs> you're, you know, you are, you know, you record, so, record, for, do back and, you know, record for other people. You play with other people. You do your own career. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, we haven't talked at all about your role at, uh, at the conservatory at SUNY Purchase. Um, yeah. And that's been only the last five years, I think I've been there. Um so that's allowed me to kind of um, consolidate a little bit more just as that job has grown. Yeah. Um, which I, I feel really fortunate for, and I really enjoy getting to teach there because it's, it's not only educational for me, but it also gives me a little bit more time to focus on my music. Yeah. Um, which is nice. So, right. Um, but yeah, I mean, you have to, I, my dad asked me um, when I was in high school, he was like, what do you want to be? And that's a really hard thing to answer <laughs> when you're in high school. Oh, absolutely. It's still a hard um, thing to answer. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and so, you know, I kind of put together this idea, because um, I started out actually as an opera major, um, and then switched wow. to jazz studies, and then ended up in studio composition, which is the yeah. major that I teach in at right. SUNY Purchase. Um, and, you know, kind of from going through all of those things, I just cultivated this idea of, well, you know, I want to make a consistent living being a musician. And if I'm making music and I'm uh, enjoying what I'm doing and I'm you know, able to make a living from that, then that's, that's me achieving a level of success. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, yeah, but they don't teach that in school, at least when I was going to school. But, um, but they, hopefully you are teaching that. <laughs> I right? am, yeah. yeah. I try to. Because a lot of kids, you know, they think, okay, well, if I'm not Rihanna, right. what does that mean? <laughs> right. Have I not succeeded? Um, and right. that's, not, that's not the case. Yeah. Um, 
You know, but there's a lot of different ways to put together something that you can consider successful. And, you know, you know, that's I can go down the rabbit hole, too, of talking about how negative I think social media is for judging yourself and comparing yourself to others. But well, and that's um, that's a brutal <laughs> that's a brutal conundrum, too, for an artist, because sort of that's a necessary evil as an artist is the social media part. Exactly. It is. I, it's it's very necessary, unfortunately, right now. But I think um, in varying degrees, uh, it's important to obviously be aware of your demographic right. and what your fans want to see. You know, if you're I was I spent the year out with a pop star and it was really important for her to be present on on all forms of social media. Right. Um, you know, especially the newer ones like Snapchat has become a very big yep, thing yep. with. 21 and under. Yep. Um, but my fans, who for the most part are like 30s and up, um, they have no idea what Snapchat is. Nor do they care. So, <laughs> so you don't have to do Snapchat. They don't know how to snap the chat. I don't have to, and I hope right. I never do. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, I try, I've recently been trying to be more present on social media, but also to distance myself from it when I'm not promoting what I'm doing. Well, what I notice about your presence on social media over the last year, because yes, I have actually been following what you're doing for the last year. <laughs> um, you know, just, I think just full disclosure, you are my, sure. you know, my daughter's masterclass teacher at SUNY Purchase. So yes, I actually I have known for almost all four years. <laughs> exactly. Um, I actually have known who you are for four, for almost four years. So <laughs> I have been watching what you've been doing and I love what you've been doing with Instagram. Um, I just love it. It's um, it's it's always very uh, connecting. It, it's always very personal. Uh, it feels raw but polished, and it Thanks. gives a it gives a really great representation of who you are and what I'm going to get when I come and see you at a live show. Right? Yeah. It, and it you, and that's what you should be doing with it. I think. Um, yeah. Depending on what you want to do as an artist, I, I, right. I'm teaching this semester um, a course called Touring uh, Promotion and Distribution, mm -hmm. and I spent uh, the first class just kind of talking about exactly that. Like if you're if you are uh, you know if you're an enigma like Sia, it's important to be an enigma on social media. Right. Um, yes. If you are someone who wants to come come across as more tangible or more down to earth, it's important to kind of find those ways to do that as well. So your social um, so your social media presence has to match the authenticity of who you are as an artist. I think so. Yeah. I mean, and that's that's something that I think is a positive of social media is that you can really help to you know create a persona, create an image. Yeah. Um, and that that's you know that's way different than it used to be. 15 you know, years ago when there wasn't anything like this, when there was just a website. Right. Um, and not even a website sometimes. Yeah, so, right. Um, but, you know, I, I also made a, um, a personal Instagram, which I, I've told all of my students to do because, it, it, you know, sometimes you want to flex and not have to pay, pay such close attention to what <laughs> you're saying um, and doing. And so, so every once in a while I get to do something where I'm just like, hey, here's what I did today. And right. Not everybody gets to see it and judge me. And that's an appropriate um, place to post a picture of the bagel. That's the place. Exactly. Right, absolutely. And, you know, I spent, when I was out on tour, I got, um, and whenever I tour, I try to eat local and I love food and I um, <laughs> love to drink like local beer, for example. And 
when I go back out on tour, I'm going to be conscious of not putting up food pictures on my whiskey heart page. <laughs> right. Well, no, but yeah. Because um, people don't, I don't know, not everybody wants to see that, but I'm putting that all over my personal Instagram. So Absolutely. There. <laughs> Absolutely. So unless it's something completely, you know, ironic or it it matches the gig that you're playing at the time or it furthers the image of you as an artist. Yeah, right. Exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, it, I, I compl- couldn't agree more. Could not agree mm-hmm. more with that. So we've so we've talked about uh, a little bit about uh, being a sideman. We talked about your you know, solo career, which I want to circle back to and, and spend some mm-hmm. real solid time on that. As you, as a as a uh, an instructor at, at SUNY Purchase, we haven't talked about a couple of the other vocal gigs that you do that I really want our listeners to hear about because I don't think that they know that they exist. So okay. I, I I'm and so I'm going to mention we were supposed to talk to you um, last week, and mm-hmm, yes. at the last minute you got a gig singing at a funeral. Yes, I did. So how does that happen? Um, well, uh, it's actually a pretty lucrative career. Right. A lot of opera singers tend to end up doing it for a living, mm-hmm. um, especially in the Catholic Church circuit. Um, mm-hmm. there, there, you can make a very nice uh, living doing that. Um, you can also be a choir director, which I have, I have a couple of friends I went to school with at SUNY Purchase who do that. Who do that. Um, my best friend who um, is a choir director, been following her around from church to church for years. She's a professional oboe player. Wow. Um, but she is also a choir director, and she's okay. amazing. Um, she's one of the most talented people I know. She plays keyboards, and she can sing, and she plays organ, like, even with her feet, and she wasn't trained on those things. Wow. Wow. But she's an oboist. Um, but, so my my family, um, I was raised Catholic, but you don't have to be. Mm-hmm. The other nice part of it. Um, mm-hmm. But my father, as an outlet for me to practice um, singing more and also get better at reading notation um, uh, pushed me to sing in the church choir when I was a kid. And that's kind of how I got started. So people would hear me sing and then request to have me at their wedding or a funeral service. And then uh, when I was in college, I got hired by a church full-time to sing on the weekend. So I would go to school and then take the bus home and um, <laughs> and go sing at church every weekend and then go back. And right. it was great because I've basically been making a consistent living as a musician since I was 15. That's amazing. What's funny is uh, you were actually being a side woman then before you thought of yourself as being a side woman because yeah. going back and singing at church, you were already being a side woman there. Yeah, it's the same. It's the same thing. I mean, it's a different label, but it's the same thing. Right, right. Um, you know, and I was singing in bar bands. I was backing people doing that when I was in high school. And you know, you're, if you're making money, then right, then it counts. Yeah, so, right. Yeah. yeah, and you're making yeah. money doing music, which is yeah. Using... And I just love I love singing in a church because I mean the resonance is just incredible. <laughs> oh, yeah, um, absolutely. But it's also really kept up my sight reading chops. Um, yeah. which is something that not every singer has. Not every singer can just kind of show up and open the book and go. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, so that's been really fun for me to get to do that. Yeah, uh, it's, that's fantastic. And, and I, I really did want to talk about it because I, you know, one of the things that we, that we talk to with our artists about all the time is mm-hmm. looking for that other revenue stream yes. with your talent. 
Yeah, and it's very it's very important because you need to find a way to afford to do your art. Right, right. Um, but it's also important to keep that balance of like, okay, mm-hmm. well, here's this other thing I'm doing. How do I not make this be 40 hours a week? Right, right. Yeah. Um, and still be able to find time to create and feel creative. Yeah, it, yeah, absolutely. It's inc- it's incredible. And we actually, there are a couple of, I can think of a couple of people that, that, that I know who have found that the side gig actually was their gig and that's what they liked. And, yeah, you totally. know, and, and if that's something that's, that you, you will never know unless you do these different things, these different revenue mm-hmm. streams that, you know, somebody who thought they wanted to be the front, the front man or woman is actually more comfortable being the side guy. Right. Like, you know, that that's, right. yeah. that, you know, so that's, that's, it's just great to hear. And, and anytime that we can, that we can, you know, discover a new <laughs> place where, you know, well, cause you know, most of the time when people, you mentioned weddings and stuff and most of the time when people think about wedding music, they think about the wedding band, right? But yeah. there's, and I do that too. Sure. Uh, well, of course you do with your voice. Absolutely. You do. You, right, can, right. you can sing anything that you want, but there's also that, you know, there's the person who sings at the service and yeah. there's the cocktail band that only plays during cocktail hour when the what you know, the wedding party is getting their pictures taken, right? Yes, you know exactly. So it's all kinds of different things, and so to keep yourself open to doing that, you will you'll find other ways to 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 exist and and make some money. You know, being music. And, yeah, yeah. And they're all good practice, right? Like they're all things exactly. that are, are hopefully going to make you better, even if it's not a hundred percent what you're doing what you want to be doing uh, stylistically. I love that. Um, You know, and they all happen. The other thing that I love is um, like a funeral service tends to only happen, I mean, for the most part, except the other day, um, you know, before one o'clock. Right. And not a lot of things happen in a musician's life before one. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Including being awake for some, for many musicians. (laughs) Exactly. Um, So that's a nice chunk of time to do something else with. And then same thing with wedding services. They tend to happen, you know, between 12 and and four. Right. Yeah. So that's pretty great too. I also spend a lot of time singing um, just regular weekend church masses. Mm -hmm. Um, And that was, uh, I I did that for a very long time. I did it for probably 10 years. Um, I would do four masses a weekend. Um, which is great because, you know, you do a gig Friday, Saturday night, and then right, you know, right, right. super early, you sing like four masses in a row, and then you go back to bed at 2 p.m. That's uh, right. Perfect. On Sunday. And it was great until I oversang and then yeah, I was um, ask you about my voice, that. which was really bad. Yeah. Um, but for the time, it was great. <laughs> so as a singer, it's important mm-hmm. to remember that we have limitations that... Uh, that musician that other you know musicians don't when they're playing an instrument. Exactly. Yeah, that, yeah. that is, and, and that's a hard thing to come to terms with. It totally it, it is, and it's something that I don't think people talk about enough. They don't. You know that. And, yeah. That over singing and over practicing uh, is a, is something to really be wary of. That it's it, mm-hmm. it is a real thing that you. It's not hard to lose your voice. It's. I wouldn't say it's not, I wouldn't say it's easy to lose your voice, but I I think that doing, the problem is that you can do something unhealthy for a while right? before all of a sudden you hit a wall and you're, and you kind of screw yourself over. Exactly. Um, and that's, that's where I think the issue is that compounded with the fact that there are a lot of bad voice teachers in the world. Mm-hmm. And there are a lot of doctors who want to blame your voice loss on other things like acid reflux or 
um, you don't do enough warm-ups or cool-downs or do these lip trills, and that'll help you. Um, the truth is, and I've seen this quite a few times recently um, after having gone through it myself, that people are just right now generally overusing their voices yeah. and overextending their ranges right. for too long. Absolutely. And doing that for too often. Right. Everybody wants to belt because that's what's important. That's what that's what's impressive. Right. Yeah, but not yeah. even the belt. Like I was singing classical music and being like, okay, cool. Yeah, I'm using like the upper two octaves of my range all the time and I'm not hurting myself on Sunday morning <laughs> after I've sung for four hours on a the night before. Night. Right, right. Yeah, no, that's fine. Voice. Of course. It's not gonna hurt me. It'll be great. Of course. Well and, you know? as, and then and as you yeah, said the teacher would be like, Hey, do this warm up, do this cool down, you'll be fine. Right. Um and that's not the truth. Like no, the warm up and the cool down is detrimental when you you when you're using your voice, you know, for six to eight hours a day. Right. 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 Yeah. No, absolutely. It's funny. We could talk about that kind of theory for, oh, yeah. <laughs> that could be a whole show easily. <laughs> we can make a whole show on that. I got a lot of information. Absolutely. <laughs> That's great. The one thing that I want to, that I want to pile onto that, that you, that you mentioned was that mm-hmm. don't, you want to warn singers not to be fooled by the run that you have for three months where it doesn't affect you. Yeah. Because exactly. the, the times that I've lost my voice, it always feels like it comes out of nowhere. Mm-hmm. And it didn't come out of nowhere. It came out of overuse. Yes. A, you know, a, a sustained period of time of overuse where I didn't feel like I was overusing it. I actually felt mm-hmm. great. I felt like, yep. wow, this is the more I use it, the better I am. And then all of a sudden it's gone. So that would just be, I just want to make sure that we, because you, you said that and I want to make sure it says it again because it's really important. It is, yeah. I mean, there are there are definitely a few warning signs, um, but the the thing that I think uh, fools a lot of singers is that their voices come back, mm-hmm. and they go, "Oh, well, my voice came back. I can use it again." And right. that that's not the problem. The problem is that you lost it in the first place. Yeah. And singing till you lose your voice is really not healthy. And then doing that repeatedly is what puts you in a situation like you know Adele or John Mayer or Sam Smith, where you're like, right. you're causing your vocal cords to hemorrhage they're they're healing and then you're doing it again and you're just building these layers of scar tissue on your vocal cords that that they really can't remove without significant risk exactly and as as the counselor in south park would say that's bad okay But I mean, you know, to flip it so we don't continue to go down the rabbit hole of like (laughs) bad vocal use. Um you know, I lost my voice pretty bad and uh, if I hadn't done that, then I never would have started writing the the songs that I've written for the new the new batch of music that I do. Um, it got me to refocus on the songs and not about how many crazy cool notes I was using and how right. high I could sing, and you know, putting it in the highest key. Um, instead, I was doing things that I felt confident as a performer that I can sing all of the time, even on a bad voice day. Yeah. And that's awesome, right? Because that means you're always going out there feeling 110% confident about your performance, as opposed to freaking out about hitting the high note. (laughs) (laughs) And everybody hates that feeling. Yes. Yeah. I mean, when I was out with um, Rachel Platten, we actually uh, had to learn all of her songs in two keys. Wow. Um, yeah, and, and some of them we would actually do in three keys. Oh, man. All right, so as a keyboard player, 
Are yeah. you actually are you actually <laughs> transposing or are you hitting the transpose button on the keyboard? Actually transposing. Okay. Good wow. for you. I actually would. Do I it. love well, that. Because, I mean, Adam, you know, Adam, I like that. that. I was trying to own it. That gave me a little, little, little like my theory geek got all excited. Yeah, Adam, Adam just got. I like that. I think he was going to jump out of his chair for a second there when you said that. So, <laughs> and that is a rabbit hole I could go down talking about why you think of chords as numbers and not as chords. Because yeah. if it's numbers, man, then it's just move the numbers. It is, yeah. I and as a keyboard player, and I talk to uh, my students about this all the time. There's shapes involved and yes, inversions that change depending on the keys. And and so for me, it was really important to be able to uh, feel like I was making music, even though I was playing the same thing every night. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, by knowing exactly what key I was in. Yeah, guitar is a different story, though. I would just move the capo. I'm not. Gonna lie. <laughs> or or just d- d- you could you could do open chords and, and different inversions and stuff. It's just it's well, like, so yeah. what she's saying it's as like, a guitar player, she would just capo. That's what she's saying. I know that as a guitar player, you wouldn't do that, but Adam. But, but so guitar is not your main instrument, though, That's right? true. It's not your accent. It is not my primary instrument. No. So it if, is something I've been playing on and off for about 15 years. So it is. It is. it feels like it is your primary instrument, though, in Whiskey Heart. Yes, it is. I purposely switched to guitar because it changed the style I was writing. Oh, okay. Um, I have a couple records out as a keyboard player, and it's very like jazzy, Nora Jonesy kind of sounding stuff. Right. Um, but guitar really helped me fit into a, uh, a genre that I had been really eager to write in for a long time. And it also got me to play less chords. Oh, sure. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. It maybe yeah. simplifies the, ri- the writing process. Um, yes. Yeah, it's something that we, it's funny, it's something that we talk about all the time is if you're stuck, if you're feeling uninspired, Try to write a song on a different instrument because yeah, it will I think change it's it. So awesome! Yeah, oh, yeah, absolutely. So, how would you describe what what uh, you do in in Whiskey Heart? What? How would you describe it? I know how I describe it, but how would you like describe the it? musical styling? Yeah, or yeah. I mean, it's Americana um, for sure, but yeah. I mean, we just I always say Americana. I sometimes say Americana soul, Americana blues, but Americana is a blending of all the American genres right. yeah. in a way. So, yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I got really into um, like Ryan Adams and uh, Jason Isbell and a little bit of Bonnie Ray and Susan Tedeschi. And I'm also a huge fan of a style of blues music called Hill Country Blues. Okay. Um, which is kind of what um, inspired like all the Black Keys stuff. Yeah. Um, so, you know, we try to have some, some real rockers on the record, mm-hmm. um, like riff oriented bluesy rockers, but then we have like some folky tunes as well. So, yeah. And we got horns on the new record, which is a new flavor. Oh, that's great. <laughs> All right. So when you yeah. say horns, what is that? What horns? We have Barry saxophone on one track and then a flugelhorn and tenor on another and then a trumpet and tenor and alto on another track. Oh my god, that's, that's awesome! I think the best reason to have flugelhorn on your record is so that you can say flugelhorn. There's flugelhorn on that track. <laughs> it's such a beautiful sound. Oh my god, it is so great! It really so is. Cool. Yeah, yeah, and it wasn't even my idea. Like the horn player just came in and was like, "Yeah, you know, I think you should put flugel on this." And I was like, "Okay, I let's try it." it. <laughs> yes. So, oh, that's great. Yeah, that's great. So, what was the what was the process like? Did you go into the studio for this one? With an with a with a sound idea in your head, or did you let it evolve while you were recording? Um, 
I'm really lucky that I've been playing with the same guys now for probably about six or seven years. Wow. Um, and so the way that I like to make these records is for just everybody to record at the same time. And Old school. They're also, yeah, they're really tasteful, um, great players. And they just do some really amazing things. And so, you know, we kind of went in with the same premise. I had a producer for this record, though. His name is Don Delego. He produced the new Hollis Brown record and he did some stuff with this art new york based artist named jesse mallon um Fantastic. and he he had a you know he's got a little bit more of like a grungy um americana thing so it was mm-hmm. nice to couple that with my vision yeah um and also to have him you know in the room as the eyes and ears when we're all in there tracking at the same time but a lot of what's on the record is just um we tracked it at this great studio in brooklyn um called atomic sound they have mm-hmm a tape machine, a vintage new console, a ton of really awesome outboard gear and vintage gear. And, um, you know, we kind of just all went in and tracked everything to tape. Every take on the record is a whole take. Wow. Um, with the band all at the same time. So we didn't piece anything together except uh, vocals we overdubbed sure. and pedal steel. Wow. Um, so it's really got this sort of, um, you can feel the band sort of feeding off of each other sure. um oh yeah and yeah just kind of you know breathing life into the tunes as opposed to you know the alternative which isn't wrong but it's no right with our music you know like yeah. kind of layering things as you go so, absolutely it's yeah it's yeah. it's a it's a lot easier to get to make it feel like that kind of um i'm going to use a word uh rootsy americana yeah. feel if it's live like that Oh yeah, uh, than yeah. it is to try to artificially uh, create it. I mean, you, you yeah, you, and live isn't even necessarily. It's funny because like you you say live in the room, but at the same time, it still has like a studio feel. Oh sure, yes, yeah, um, absolutely, but in a different way. You know, like yeah. it's not a live show, but it's right. live. It's crazy. Right. The sounds yeah. are the sounds are better than you would ever get at a live show for sure. Exactly. Because yeah. exactly. there's isolation and there's you know and there's you know noise inhibitors and you yeah yeah all of that. Yeah. But no, that's cool. That's a that's a great approach. Also, yeah, we we really had a great time doing it, and 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 the guys I play with, um, my keyboard player's name is Todd Caldwell. He played with CSN for years, and um, my drummer Kenny Shaw actually went to SUNY Purchase with uh, with me and Chris, although I didn't know him at the time. And um, and he's just wonderful. He's been out with uh, Dispatch and a couple of other bands. And, wow! And so some real oh, players, great. some heavy hitters. Yeah. Yep. That's fantastic. As well as the guys you've been playing with, you know, forever. And I, you know, I guess you had to use your husband since, you know, he's your husband. <laughs> yes, I did. I had. He's to. a phenomenal player, though. Did um, how much how much upright did he do as opposed to uh, electric? He played no upright on the record. Okay, no upright on this one. I don't tend to use uh, upright in my music um, at the moment. Mm-hmm. It's, it's something that we always toy around with, but. Um, but just hasn't ever settled in as the right thing. Um, but when we're out touring with Martin, because he's such an acoustic bass oh, sure. um, musician, um, he's had Chris play upright with him. You know, we kind of sometimes uh, throw it in the mix for our sets. Yeah, I was going to say, when we saw you, he did actually play upright on, on a couple of your tunes. Yes. Yeah, so he'll do that, um, you know, when, when it's there um, mm-hmm. and when it's appropriate. But yeah. Usually, uh, he tends to play electric with me, which is very cool. So, yeah. um, so the album hasn't hasn't been released yet. Although you do you do have um, the single "Bright City Lights" out, 
And that came yeah. out in November, right? It did. Yeah, it came out in November, and we actually just firmed up um, a release show. So the the album is tentatively um, most likely going to be released the end of April. Um, Fantastic. Which is really exciting. That's I'm very nice. exciting. And uh, where's the show? So we're doing. We're going to do one in Brooklyn at a venue called Come On Everybody, um, nice. which is a really cool new space. What part of um, what part of Brooklyn? It is kind of in Park Slope, kind okay. of in Bushwick. It's in that gray area yeah. down there. Yeah. Um, but it's a really cool venue. I like, um, you know, the drinks are super reasonable, which is helpful. <laughs> and the room Absolutely. Is, yeah, the room is, it kind of looks like this venue called Mercury Lounge, but it's oh, a yeah. bit smaller. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and they have a great, it's got great lighting, great sound. I got a smoke machine, so there's some vibe in there. Nice. nice. Um, yeah, so we're, um, and there's a taco truck next door. You've got to love Brooklyn for that. Yeah, of course, there's um, a taco truck next door. Yeah, <laughs> so Brooklyn. we're doing that, and then we're going to do a Westchester show uh, in May, uh, probably, I think it's uh, mid-May. Great. Oh, that's yeah, fantastic. And on both sides of the uh, New York neck of the woods there. Nice. And until then, um, you've got some dates coming up with, with, uh, with Martin Sexton, who I am I refraining do. from calling Marty again. <laughs> That's okay. I know. I don't think he minds it. I I, he doesn't, but yeah. So, um, but yeah, we leave uh, February 15th, and we're out with him the 15th through March 4th, and then we're going to be doing some shows home by ourselves. Uh, we will be playing in Nashville on March 6th, and then I just found out yesterday that we're actually going to um, do a session at Fun Studios in Memphis. Fantastic. Nice. Oh, wow. Yeah, I'm really excited about that. I so, went to visit um, uh, Sun Studios on tour a couple of years ago, and when we left there, they were like, yeah, you know, if you guys ever want to book some studio time in here, you can, and it's like legitimately you walk in and you're in the same room as like that Elvis tracked in. And, uh, and Jerry Lee. And through his microphone. Chuck Berry. Yeah, and, Jerry yeah. Lewis and Chuck Berry and all these amazing like okay, Muddy so, Waters. And, so um, please, please tell me you're going to film this. That there's somebody that's going to film everything. <laughs> well, I think, um, I don't really know a lot of people in Memphis. So I think what we're going to do is like bring a GoPro or something like that. Yes. And kind of have it on the whole time. And, yes. And then um, we'll see what happens. Yeah. So, well, yeah. So probably some cool. college, there's probably some music college students in <laughs> Memphis somewhere. You could... Do a little ad, run a little contest. I bet somebody would love yeah. to do that for the day. If I was in Memphis, uh, I would totally run the camera. Great idea. If we were there, we would be. <laughs> but no, we would have two uh, camera language. The marketing guy in my head just started yelling at me. Exactly. Going, Document. Yeah. Document it all. <laughs> I know. That's a well. I, that's a great idea. Find some uh, some music fans. Who yeah. Know that. Absolutely. Who really about it. Exactly. Oh, that is so cool. Yeah. yeah, so that's we got some fun things planned, and then I'm also opening for Sloan Wainwright in um, in April. Nice. Oh, oh that's where, where is that? That is at a place called the Chappaqua Performing Arts Center in it's in New York okay. uh, in Westchester, and I, I've known her for years, and she's just such an amazing songwriter and singer. So that'll be really really fun to get oh, oh, that's her. great. Oh, that's tremendous. Yeah. So you get some really exciting stuff going on. Yeah, it's starting to uh, starting to percolate. Absolutely. <laughs> well, you know, this is the time of year yeah. where the music industry starts to like stretch and take its pajamas off and have some coffee and get ready to go again. So. Yeah, you know, I was joking with some friends of mine because, like, I mean, you guys are are pretty cold up where you are, and it's pretty cold in New York, and I feel like no musicians see each other in January. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Oh, it's like we hibernate. 
That's why yeah, we... it's like everyone starts to maybe see each other around Valentine's Day. Yes, but, um, but that's, no sooner. That's one of the things we. It's one of the things we love about the podcast. We get to at least talk to everybody. You know, exactly. we, we don't yeah. see it. We don't see anybody till February, but we'll at least talk to them on the phone. So. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. I think that's great. That's awesome. So I, I want to ask you this, and I hadn't thought about asking this until we were we were just talking about this stuff. I, what what kind of stuff have you have you learned from doing these shows with Marty? Because you talked about some of the stuff that you learned f- working with uh, r- with um, Rachel. You just called him Marty again. Just I know. did. I know. That's okay. Yeah. Um, For anybody who doesn't know, we're talking about Martin Sexton. Okay. Yes. If you don't know um, who Martin Sexton is, oh my God, check him out. Please get out of the closet and find <laughs> yes, out who exactly. um, he is. A, he's a very dynamic performer and everything is usually very uh, spontaneous. Hmm. Um, like set lists and things like that. Um, so it was interesting seeing him out with the trio recently because they had a more specific set of tunes that they would do. Right. And I think in a way that was um, it was a bit it was a bit different for him, um, but it was also really fun because he got to really um, you know stretch out and, and play with play with the guys. And hmm. so, you know, it's been I haven't done a lot of solo solo sets, but it was inspiring to me to think of it from those two perspectives. Yeah. Um, like honing a set list with a band and then finding those moments where you can really um, do whatever you want and mm. no one else is there to look at you funny when you play something different. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right, right. Um, but he's also, you know, been a road a road dog for a long time. So oh, he yeah. he does a lot himself and his wife is amazing and, and she uh, manages him and they are just, uh, they're really on top of what they do. And it's its inspiring to know that you don't always have to have a huge team of people behind you to be successful. Absolutely. Absolutely. And he's a great example of just, you know, he has just ridiculous amounts of talent. And, yes. And works incredibly hard and ke- keeps going and writes great songs. And, and but the, the industry's weird. And, and it, you know, what he does was not necessarily meant to be right next to Britney Spears and Bruno Mars. Yes, exactly. I mean, he kind of got his foot in the door, fortunately, in the early 90s when, you know, labels were still throwing out a lot of money. Right, yep. And, um, you know, you could you could get a budget to make records. And so he, he did that a little bit early on, but then he also got to do the other side of it, you know, be really in charge of what he, what he does and how he does it. And... Um, you know, doing these, doing that. I mean, it's one of his best records is Live Wide Open, like the, yeah. the live the live record he did with Joe Bonadio, um, mm-hmm. who actually produced my first record when I was a youngin. Wow, um, nice. Yeah, so it's kind of funny to have come full circle with that because yeah, Joe sure. made on all those, and, and then I knew Joe back in the day. So, um, so yeah, I mean, it's it's. I think it's endlessly inspiring, but it's also important to keep in mind, like, you know, he's really... Um, He's really found his niche, his yeah. the thing that his demographic loves. Right. Yep. And that's not going to work for every artist, right. but if it works for you, then right. you should definitely do it. Yeah. That's a that's a great way to put it. Yeah, he's a great case study in creating the super fan. Yeah. Right. He has a lot of those, yeah. and they're very nice. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. They're very very nice. Yeah. Well, I'd love that when I asked you about that 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 the thing that you went to was uh, what you what you learned about his live show. It, it sort of, uh, not sort of, it absolutely reminded me of, you did an interview with um, uh, an 
Roots Music Journal, uh, No Depression, and mm-hmm. and they asked you whether you preferred studio uh, to live, and you were very kind to studio environment, but it was pretty clear from your answer that live is where you feel it more. Live is where I'm at. I love it. Yeah, I absolutely love it. Um, my husband gets really mad at me because I hate to rehearse, which I shouldn't say out loud. Because <laughs> I but <laughs> I still do it, kids. If you're <laughs> uh, yeah, but you're just being honest. Right. It doesn't mean you're not yeah. doing it. You're just being honest. I mean, I, I my backbone is is what my you know what I grew up doing with my my grandparents were both uh, jazz musicians, so the improvisational oh, aspect yeah. of yeah. playing that music and and that it being slightly different every time I found to be really important. Yeah. Um, and then also you know being a being a blues musician, you're doing things differently. You're feeling and yeah, um, absolutely. You know, there's a I, in one of my lyric writing classes, I talk a lot about organic sense and kinesthetic sense. Mm-hmm. Um, which both are, you know, they're kind of, I call them the hippy-dippy senses. Um, like trying to feel, you know, how your body is responding to things or trying yeah. to reach out into the, you know, the creative aspect of your mind when you're making things. And that's the part that I enjoy. Um, and not that you can't get that in the studio, but I think you get it more on, on a live. I, I couldn't agree more. I think the studio is much more of a of the technical place where the music is is represented uh it's called a record for a reason because it's a record yes. of that moment uh yes. you know it's a you're actually a record of the event of the of event the people that were there and and the and mm-hmm. i agree with you completely that the that the live performance is if you're if you're it sounds like you and i are of the same very very similar <laughs> feel about what a live performance is that that is the moment where we're really creating the music and we're yes. in it Yes. That we're really living in that music. Yeah, and that's that's the part that I just really, I really, really love. And I guess that's why I, I also really enjoy the other aspects of what I do musically because I can I can get that enjoyment out of the general concept of performing. Yeah. Um, no matter what it kind of ends up being. Absolutely. So I want to ask you this. This just occurred to me. Um, as it's occurring to me that it sounds like you and I feel the same about live shows. Mm-hmm. One of my favorite things uh, that will happen is when I will, I will sing something slightly differently than I've done before. And, okay. and it is just, it feels like the coolest thing I've ever done. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've been there. Um, you know, and then you kind of go, okay, well, what did I just do? Exactly. Really but cool. you can't. <laughs> but you can't. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I, I spent a lot of time early on singing along to records. Um, yeah. So there are some things that I learned from that, like little riffs or things that mm-hmm. I'll, I'll do that I really love. And I'll, I'll know how to kind of pull those up. And then I have a lot of fun tweaking them a little bit as I go. And making um, them more you. Yeah. Making them more me. And then them being slightly different every time. and. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, getting that feeling, but, but having like a little bit of a vocabulary. I love that. I love that. Again, it's something that, that, uh, that both of us talk to with our artists and students all the time about, and that's that one of the, one of the things to find inspiration from is, is listening to records and playing along with them and singing to them. It will give you a foundation from people who are already masters. Yes. And it's a great way to it's a great way to practice and make sure that you're practicing perfectly. 
Yeah, and that's, you know, it, uh, it's very hard to come up with a concrete practice routine as, as a vocalist. Mm-hmm. Because uh, it's not just all about doing skills. Right. It's definitely, you know, yeah. helpful in a way. But, um, you know, I'll find uh, a singer that I like and I'll be able to kind of really line and match their phrasing and work on that in one regard or, you know, look at what they're doing with the range or the placement of a sound and the tone they're using and things like that. And that's stuff that you don't always get out of a voice lesson. That's, yeah. You just, yeah. yeah, that's fantastic. I mean, when you, that you mentioned tone and matching tone, that explains one of the reasons why I absolutely adore your voice the way I do. Um, <laughs> Thank you. Because the tonal quality of it is just incomparable. I mean, it's... Thank you. Yeah. It, it's really, really something to behold. Your, your vocal style is amazing. Thank you so yeah. much. I mean, it's, it's kind of um, grown, I would say, a little bit over the years, but it's also been fun having been a session singer, you know, playing with the right. tonal changes um, and then being able to, to match what someone wants. And I think that's kind of where I ended up settling on what I want to do for my true voice. Yeah, right. Well, you're unique um, in that because most backup singers never actually get to that place where they sound like they have their own style when they sing other uh, when they sing their yeah. own material and right. you have ma- you've true. mastered that. So I think it's also because I lost my voice. Okay. So, like so many years ago um, that I, you know, I was quite the vocal acrobatist for okay. a long time. Yeah. <laughs> and I needed those limitations to be able to really say, okay, this is who I am. Um, not I can be a chameleon. Instead, this is who I am. That's phenomenal because uh, what I love about that is it, it speaks to a great place to wrap because it speaks to what Adam and I talk about all the time about finding your superpower and that is another way of saying that find what Mm -hmm. it is that you do better and stick with that yeah and it doesn't have to be you know you don't have to be like what you would consider an amazing vocalist it doesn't it's not about that it's it's like exactly what you said um david burns i think has a quote that i'm going to butcher but um it's something about uh real singers not being believable (laughs) and uh you know that was one of the things he doesn't ever consider himself a real vocalist he um but he is in a way oh absolutely thing and he's got you know that's him and exactly you can emote uh, from what he's saying and what he's singing. And I think that's what it really boils down to, you know? Yeah, well, absolutely. You I can have that. the best voice in the world. And if you're not a good singer, it doesn't matter. Right. Yeah. If you're not a good singer or if you're not, you know, you're not really connecting with what sets you apart and makes you unique. Totally. And that's what's going to make you honest absolutely. to your fans. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. People want to dig into your music, you know? Absolutely. Show them some truth. Yes, Exactly. Rebecca, we don't want to keep you anymore. I, I just want to, I really want to thank you for, uh, for, for doing the show today. It's, um, it's been, it's been fantastic, and we've learned so much. Um, and I really look, really look forward to seeing you uh, perform again. Yeah, thank you, guys, again for having me. It's been so great to, uh, to dive in on some of these topics that I don't get to, uh, to talk about that often. Absolutely, so that was really cool. Thanks. Love I hope to do- I'll see you guys in February. Let's hope so. Absolutely. That's the whole. Yeah. All right. right. We'll talk to you soon. Take care. Have a great day. Okay, thanks. You too. Bye. Bye. Oh, that was great. That was fantastic. Oh, so true. What a pro. Oh, man. That's the thing. a pro. If you're listening and you don't understand all of these different pieces of the industry, like, re-listen to the podcast and take notes. Absolutely. There's so many different 
uh, topics and yeah. and and uh, ideas and and yeah ways to think about the different pieces of your your art and different pieces of the industry and how to get, I love that she said she doesn't like to practice because she yeah. didn't say she didn't practice no she, she said she, she, doesn't, she doesn't, like doesn't like it. to practice and 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 what's great is well then she followed it up immediately by saying but I do anyway but I do it yeah right so yeah. and that's so important so important and and thinking of singing along to and trying to match tones with uh, other other vocalists yes. and you know it's like guitar players learning how to play this the lead for Stairway to Heaven yes right or, or the lead to uh, you know Time by, exactly. by Pink by, Floyd or that those are so important and it is a way to practice that's fun yeah totally it, it will bring the joy to it and when we all start we all want to imitate the people that we think are amazing absolutely you know that's what you want to i want to be Jimi hendrix i want right. to be Jimmy page i want to be all the Jimmys. right um <laughs> jimmy vaughn and jimmy. um but but you eventually then all of those different riffs and all those different songs and all those different feelings morph into what your style what you ends up being and, and the same is true for vocalists and the and, same is and, true for vocalists and 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 no better example than rebecca avalon yeah, just that you know the the experience of singing backup and knowing how to match yourself phrasing tonally yeah uh intensity wise for a backup gig and then also being able to go into you know a church and sing an aria yeah and then being able to go and be in a you know a, like a rootsy americana you know bluesy Absolutely. band and have your own style knowing your voice in that way you you get there through through all of those things and and all of those experiences and that the 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 joyous approach to lifelong learning absolutely she's teaching at a conservatory guys mm-hmm. right. and when she was out on the road with Martin Sexton she was like wow this is amazing to see you know how you can really work as a team when it's right. a small team and you don't have a big team and 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 right. like mentally taking notes and going that's cool to notice and pay attention to because right. even and maybe though, when I do solo gigs myself, maybe I'll be a little looser yeah. with my I mean, set list and allow, my, allow myself the experimentation. And notice when you see people doing that. Notice when you see yeah. people at this giant level of the industry right. making notes, making adjustments, yeah. still learning that that's well, the deal. It's right all, down to the Rachel Platten having to be so present on social and noticing that that right. was it. Like she didn't have to notice that. That's no, not. She could have right. just done the gig and this learned is the a, songs in the three different keys. This is a stu- this is a student who wants to be a master and who is mastering this this art. Right. And 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 even though you're teaching master classes, you're still a student. Make sure that you're still you still have that student brain that you're always looking inquisitive. for new things inquisitive. Exactly. Absolutely. So, yeah, fantastic. Absolutely. So don't forget you guys remember, you got this. We got you back.